You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Trying to get it right back. Huberto has a pass for Gilbert, but turns the puck over. And there comes Debrink it the other way. Debrink it and shoots and scores. And hats rain down to the ice at Little Caesars Arena for red hot Alex Debrink it, who completes his hat trick and scores his NHL leading eighth goal of the season to make it 6 2 Red Wings. Not the end of the road trip that the Calgary Flames were looking for. 3-1 loss in Columbus last Friday and a 6-2 loss, as you heard from Derek Wills on the Sportsnet Radio Network and right here on Sportsnet 960, the fan, the Calgary Flames. Finished up a five-game road trip with just one victory and now have a chance for a quick homestand before they take it outdoors against the Edmonton Oilers next Sunday. Welcome in to another edition of Sportsnet Today. We are coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Chile, Calgary, Alberta. Busy show for you the next two hours. Lots of Flames reaction to the disappointing five-game road trip. Also, we'll hear from head coach Ryan Huska. Noah Hannafin, lots of buzz around him over the weekend. Thanks to our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Contract talks progressing in the right way, apparently, between Hannafin and the Flames. We'll dive into that a little bit later on in the program. Guests joining us this Monday. Of course, Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca is going to join us a little bit later on this hour to chat all things Week 7 in the NFL. Another Sunday slate in the books. Monday Night Football still to come tonight. Should be a good match between the San Francisco 49ers and the Minnesota Vikings. And wouldn't you know it, the Calgary Stampeders found their way back into the postseason. They picked up a massive victory on Friday night against the BC Lions. And thanks to a Riders loss on Saturday to the Argos, we'll see the Stamps and the Lions in a couple of weeks in CFL playoff action. We'll check in with our pal Matty Rose from the big show with Rustic and Rose and one of our Stampeders insiders to go through all things Stampeders a little bit later on on the program. Quick reminder, fan feedback line always open to you here on Sportsnet today. Shoot us a text if you're listening live at 960-960. Perhaps if you want to express some frustration or some early season Flames thoughts, Feel free to shoot us a message, 960-960, alongside Mount Stadium producers Cam and Taylor on this Monday afternoon. And I imagine there's quite a bit of frustration out there after a disappointing end to that road trip for the Calgary Flames. 6-2 is your final score. You heard it. You saw it. The Alex Debrinkit hat trick. The high-flying Red Wings dominate the Calgary Flames. That road trip ends with a thud. And not much to like 
coming out of those last two games for the Calgary Flames. We thought maybe we were seeing a bit of an early progression on the road trip. Pittsburgh had a good 40 minutes, but we're kind of taken off by the third period where you let in five goals. Washington, a good back-and-forth effort. Pick up a point in the shootout. And we were talking about Buffalo being perhaps their best game of the season. Well, they certainly didn't follow up that effort in Columbus. Add on top of that, the Rasmus Anderson suspension, which, by the way, is being uh, appealed and heard by NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman today. So perhaps we will get a decision from the commissioner sometime sooner than later. But regardless, that ends the Columbus game on another sour note, and you enter a matchup against the high-flying Detroit Red Wings, the NHL's highest-scoring team early on in this NHL season without your number one defenseman, and you put up another poor effort and are frankly overwhelmed by the Detroit Red Wings to the tune of a 6-2 score, and you now finish a five-game road trip with just one victory. Yeah, I can understand why there's some frustration amongst Flames fans. Now, the obvious counterpoint to the negativity early on would be, one, it's, it's early on. And playoff teams, Stanley Cup winners are not determined by the first six games of a season. And you only have to look back to last year where a solid 5-1 and one start for the Calgary Flames turned into a non-playoff appearance last year. It wound up not meaning anything, and this team couldn't continue any of that momentum. Now, you would certainly have loved to have banked more points, and they can't take those wins away from you. If you're asking anybody, you'd much rather have the 5-1 and one start than the start to the other the Calgary Flames have, which is two wins on the season. But there is still lots to be decided. There will have to be changes for this team, no doubt, though, following the end of that road trip. The Flames now enter this week with a two-game homestand, welcoming in the New York Rangers on Tuesday night and the St. Louis Blues on Thursday. I think it's pretty safe to say we will see a different Lineup for the Calgary Flames on Tuesday. Ryan Huska, for the first time this season, went to the line blender ahead of a game. And we saw many different lines heading into uh, Sunday's game against the Ranger, against the Red Wings, excuse me. Ruzichka with Lindholm and Coronado. Huberto found himself with Kadri and Dubé. A reuniting of Backlund, Coleman, and Manjapani. Of course, the fourth line, which has been solid with A.J. Greer, Gagor, Sharon Goach, and Walker Dewar stayed together. Uh, fair to say those were not successful. Huberto, Kadri, Dubé were one of the lines most dominated by Detroit. They were all on for a number of goals and were one of the lines that failed to get anything going offensively for this team. So we'll wait and see what Tuesday brings, but I would... Garner, a pretty strong guess that Ryan Huska is going to look to change things up ahead of a matchup against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, the New York Rangers. The lack of offense, certainly a concern early on for Flames fans, which is interesting to me because I, I, I went back to last year, and I mentioned this with Pat on a pregame show Sunday ahead of the Detroit game, and yeah, frustrating for sure that the offense 
hasn't been able to produce as much as maybe you would have liked. But I'm not overly surprised about that. This is not a drastically different team than the Flames team last year that struggled to provide offense. If anything, numbers-wise, you've gone back losing Tyler Toffoli out of your lineup and bringing Yegor Sharon Govich in from a, a simply number standpoint. Now, the hope is the approach and the way that the Flames go about their business will lead to more consistent offense, but I think it's pretty clear that this core group at their best will produce offense at a pretty, I don't know, I want to say a, a much smaller clip than the rest of the NHL, but certainly I think an average to below average team offensively is what you're talking about if you're the Calgary Flames. And if that's going to be the case, I'm not saying you can't win hockey games that way, but man, you're going to need to be better defensively. The turnovers have been an issue for this team. There is clearly still a, a gap for this team learning the defensive zone. And for me, the biggest part of the defensive zone that hasn't worked for the Calgary Flames has been their exit passes. Way too often, this team is giving the puck back to the other team once they've picked up possession in their own zone. And I get that the objective is to move the puck quickly up the ice and get it as far away from your net as possible. But it's hurting this team more often than not when the pass finds the opposing team. And that's on the defense. That's on the forwards to make sure that they're open, that they're leaving the zone as a, as a, a connected group. We just haven't seen a lot of that yet. And of course, we'll have lots to talk about with Dan Fladar. Boy, were there some negative comments on social media last night following Dan Vladar and the Flames picking up a loss last night to Detroit. Uh, was Dan Vladar a star for the Calgary Flames last night? No, absolutely not. But he needed to be better. He obviously needed to be better than 24 of 30. But man, was there, a, a, in my mind, a, a lot more going on than the goaltender. And I was surprised to see how much of the blame last night was shouldered on number 80. So yes, a disappointing effort in Detroit to finish off the five-game road trip. Let's hear from the head coach, Ryan Huska, last night. Uh, short and sweet from the head coach, as you can imagine. Not a lot of positives to draw from following that 6-2 loss to Detroit. Coach, we just uh, what jumped out at you tonight in terms of the difference? Um, in terms of the, the difference? Yeah. Um, they were a hungrier team. We turned over a lot of pucks, and we couldn't defend the rush. And they have some good skill, and they played a good team game. Michael talked about um, you know not making the simple plays or, or you know the, the quick pass, short passes. I mean, is that what you're seeing still with the with the puck management right now? Yeah, I mean, you, if you're going to turn over as many pucks as we did tonight, you're you're asking for it, and then it's just steady dose of odd man rushes coming back against, and that's not a recipe for winning at any any level. Are you sensing any frustration at all from your group, or is it still uh, level-headed about where you guys are? At? Uh, level-headed we got handed to us tonight so they should be frustrated after a night like tonight there's no real sugarcoating of that michael i think you touched on it but he also made a point to talk about pace yeah and uh, how do you kind of rectify that where does that come down to uh a lot of it is the way you move the puck i think a lot of it is making sure you're ready to play for one but how you move the puck and number two and then what you do with it so if you want to try to get pace going but you're consistent and turning it over at either blue line it's hard to get that pace for any sort of um, consistent period of time. 
I know you had some new line combinations. Would it like be a tough night to maybe get a read on those? Uh, they, uh, they weren't great tonight, that's for sure. Yep. I want to ask you about the brink. He had a hat trick today. He's been on to such a hot start. What, what do you see from him this year so far? He scored some goals tonight. That's all I can tell you. I haven't really watched a lot of them until. Right. But I mean, he's always a threat out there. When he... yeah, lots of people are threats for sure. <laughs> That uh, was a not-so-happy Ryan Huska Sunday evening in Detroit following his team's 6-2 loss. Any comment that you like, feel free to take it from there. Got it handed to us. Got to be ready to play. <laughs> Didn't have time for the to bring it question. Be yeah, the, the, Alex had a pretty good game. Scored a hat trick. I think we're all... Pretty aware of how red hot he's been to start the season, as has the entire Detroit offense. I I thought the coach put a lot of a lot of the frustrations that the team's feeling out uh, in that post game press conference. I mentioned it was short and sweet, but the coach to the point. Line combos didn't work out. Detroit was the better team. That's not a good way for the Flames to end off a road trip. That's just not a good enough effort from this team. Period if they do fancy themselves as playoff contenders when it comes to the Pacific and the Western Conference. Lots of texts rolling in at 960-960. Some early season frustration for the Calgary Flames. If you're listening live, feel free to shoot us a text on the fan feedback line. Jeff and Airdrie, I guess I expected sunshine and rainbows, but it just seems like more of the same from last year. Uh, this text reads, inconsistency from the Flames. Who knew? Uh, this one reads, oh, wait a minute. You mean it wasn't actually Daryl's fault? Uh, more at 960-960. This one says, if the Flames win the next two games, then are we planning the parade? Because that's the logic based on the reaction of losing a few in a row. Yeah, it's an up and down industry for sure. And especially... Uh, if you're in sports radio, if you're listening to sports radio, Lou always used to say when we have our, our noon hits, you know, we're really reacting to 82 separate moments during the year as we break down every single game. And that can lead to having ups and downs based on one win or two wins or a loss here or a loss there. I, I don't think anything's unfair that I've heard, I, I can certainly understand why people are frustrated. I don't think two wins this week totally turns the franchise and turns. But yeah, the, I mean, the mood is going to be based off of play. And let's be honest, the play the last couple of games from the Calgary Flames hasn't led to anything that positive. Uh, our pal Matt and Cochran texting in. I'd argue that the loss last season set the team on its course of mediocrity and missing the playoffs. This year, they feel like it's just a continuation of the 2022-2023 season so far. This one says, Vladar trade value slowly sinking. Uh, this text says, uh, sorry, Logo, who was talking there? Was that Ryan Huska or Daryl Sutter? Uh, here it says, for fans who don't have the hockey IQ or are less familiar with the game of hockey, easy to blame the goalie because he's the one letting in the goals. 
it was certainly a mix last night. I didn't think Dan was great. I also, in a 6-2 loss, find it very hard to put the blame on solely on the goaltender. I don't think he got much help either. And this text says, who would have thought that the same team as last year, minus their leading, minus their leading score, excuse me, would have the same result? Yeah. And, no, this is a tough one for me because that text, I think, is is largely correct. In in the sense of you know, should we expect a lot different? The team isn't drastically different. As far as NHLers in and NHLers out, it, it it was Sharon Govich and it was Toffoli. And we know that Sharon Govich, who got his first goal of the season on Sunday, and good for him, uh, showing off that uh, elite shot that he has, ha- hasn't been the consistent scoring threat that a Tyler Toffoli was. Certainly not one that Toffoli was at the end of his Flames career. But I, I do think there's something to be said about the approach and the style of play that can lead to different results. Now, it hasn't so far, and it's it's still early on in the season. There's clearly still some bumps in the road when it comes to executing the system that the coaches want. But I, I, I think the approach the Flames have taken, and whether you agree with it or not, is that with a similar core, a few different pieces here or there, in a Coronado, uh, Ruzichka in a more consistent role, perhaps a, a more consistent role from a Jacob Pelche when he's healthy, and a new approach to how we play defense, how we transition into offense, will eventually lead this team to more consistent results. Again, you can agree with that or disagree with that, and early on you could very easily say this team has two wins, they just finished up a five-game road trip where they only picked up one victory, that hasn't worked, and it's more of the same from last year. And I couldn't argue that. I would say that, yes, it's still early. I think we've seen good flashes from this t- this team. The Buffalo game, to me, was their best game of the season and did give you a lot to be excited about. But the follow-ups from both of them, not good enough. Nowhere near good enough. And this team has to, like, first of all, they can't take anybody lightly, which is a concern I have from Friday's game, that it was just, it was just Columbus. This, is, this team isn't good enough to, to walk into any arena across the league and say it's just Team X, and we're going to be able to, to run the show because they were a bad team last year. They're not, they're not at that level. And two is... You're going to need a better effort from everybody. The star players, and you can name them because they've been pretty absent for the most part. You know, where's where's Nazem Kadri on a key game like Sunday? Are we getting enough out of Michael Backlund early on? We talked about it last week because I think he was accurate when Pat brought up that he thought Jonathan Huberto was having a good offensive start to the season. That fell off the last two games for me, especially in Columbus and Detroit. That line with Kadri, Dubé, and Huberto, there's no other way to say it. They were awful. Way beyond the level that this team should be at 
when you're talking about three NHL guys of the skill level and of the experience that those three have. But again, now it's time to reset. You're done off the road. You're back at home for two. We know Jacob Markstrom's likely to get the start on Tuesday. He's been good for the Flames. And I think we'll get to see some more combinations for this Calgary Flames team coming up that are have led to more success, I'll say, than the ones that finished up the road trip for this team. Uh, again, quick reminder for Tuesday, if you're curious, I put this out on my Twitter account. It's at Fan960Logan. If you're wondering uh, why on a Tuesday night you're heading down to the Scotiabank Saddledome or getting settled for a Flames-Rangers matchup that sits at 745 for the puck drop, uh, it is because it is part of something the NHL is trying this year called their Frozen Frenzy. All 32 NHL teams are going to be in action on Tuesday. Gets going about 4 o'clock Mountain Time. Uh, they have staggered every puck drop of every game, so no two games are going to start at the same time. So Flames and Rangers go at 745. The first puck drop ahead of them is Vancouver in Nashville at 715. Arizona, LA go at 8.30. And then at 9 o'clock, Philly is in Las Vegas. So you have hockey all day long, starting at 4 o'clock with the Leafs and the Capitals. NHL frozen frenzy. I kind of like the idea, actually, of seeing every single team uh, in action on any given day. A Tuesday's <laughs> uh, an interesting day to, to put it on, I think, but... Uh, the NHL schedule makers wanted to try something different, and that's what's happening on Tuesday. So check out uh, sportsnet.ca if you want the full schedule to see when every single team and every single game is starting. But that's the reason for the uh, perhaps unusual start time to a Tuesday night uh, matchup in Calgary. It's the Flames and the Rangers. 7.45 right here on Sportsnet 9.60 with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call. We'll have more Flames chatter for you as the afternoon goes on. Don't worry about that. We'll get to more of your texts at 960-960. We'll also dive into the news, courtesy of our pal Elliot Friedman of Hockey Night in Canada, that he jumped on headlines Saturday night that the Flames and Noah Hannafin are making some progress in contract talks. Noah spoke to the media on Monday back in Calgary, so we'll hear from him as well. And we'll get your thoughts on what a Noah Hannafin contract should look like for the Calgary Flames. That coming up a little bit later on. We're going to turn our attention to some football around the corner. Our pal Emily Sadler joins us every single Monday to break down what we saw in the NFL Sunday slate. Week 7 in the books. Monday Night Football coming up tonight. It's the Vikings and the San Francisco 49ers. So Emily's going to join us next. And stay tuned for a little bit later on. Our pal Matty Rose. All things Stampeders. They're heading back to the playoffs. They got the job done against the BC Lions. And got some help from the Toronto Argonauts. How are we feeling about the Stamps? As they head back to the postseason for another year. They'll be in BC in a couple weeks time for the West Semifinal. Football talk next. More Flames talk coming up a little bit later on. Glad to have you along for the ride. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Week 7 of the NFL season wraps up tonight from Minnesota. 
Two and four Vikings, five and one San Francisco 49ers. 6-15 kickoff. San Fran favored by a touchdown on the road. See if Minnesota has an upset in the making. I wouldn't bet on it. But perhaps Monday night will give us a proper send-off to what's been a pretty good week seven of NFL action going back to the Thursday nighter between the Jags and the Saints. And what I think was a pretty excellent Sunday of football. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. And now we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to welcome in our Monday regular here on the program from Sportsnet.ca. Joining us to chat all things NFL, it's our pal Emily Sadler. Emily, happy Monday. How are you? Happy Monday, Logan. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, thank you. Uh, had a good Sunday of football to watch. I thought we had some pretty good games to break down on Sunday. Yeah, we really did. I feel like the football gods like kind of owed us this one because last week was all about <laughs> defense, low scoring. We had some some injuries, and now it was like, okay, here we go. We got some offense. We had some like really fun games that went right down to the wire. So I don't. I feel like that was maybe the best week yet. Like every team is, we're kind of just keep learning more and more about who these teams are. Yesterday was fun. It was a lot of fun. Let's get into it. Uh, all of a sudden. It's looking like the AFC North might be one of the best divisions in football. Cincinnati, who was off this week, sits at 3-3. Three and three. And this weekend, the Browns, Steelers, and Ravens all picked up victories. We'll get to Baltimore in a second, but do you think this has a chance to be the best division in football right now, Emily? I think absolutely. And it's, it's funny because every year, um, right before the season, we kind of try to predict okay what is this year's power division and you know we go we go over to the AFC West we go to the AFC East but it's kind of always the AFC North a little bit like in the last couple years they've been really they've just you know kind of earned that reputation as that's a tough division to get out of Um, and we're seeing that definitely again this year and, and especially I think yesterday was such a good example of kind of what each of these teams um, is able to do right and is able to um, kind of is what their identity. So I think we saw some real identity wins from the AFC North. How impressed were you with the Cleveland Browns? 39-38. They get the uh, last second victory thanks to a Kareem Hunt rushing touchdown. But again, Deshaun Watson goes down with an injury and PJ Walker's left to pick up the pieces. They pick up a really key win to keep pace with everybody in that division. Yeah, they. I mean, they certainly... I will say they had some help from a questionable pass interference call. They they did, yes. (laughs) But absolutely, that was, I mean, that was a statement win by that defense, which kind of sounds funny to say when, you know, they did give up 38 points. Um, And and once again, I am asking the question about the Browns. Can you imagine, Logan, if they had a competent quarterback? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you know, they, they thought that they got their guy. Um, problematic as that is, uh, but it's it's one of those defenses. Like we are watching a historic defense right now with the Browns, and so much of that goes to Miles Garrett. Like his performance yesterday was beyond impressive. He he basically box jumped an, an offensive line to uh, block a field goal attempt. He in the first half alone had two sacks, two forced fumbles, <laughs> six tackles. Like that's. 
those are almost like season numbers for some of his peers, right? Yeah. Um, he's just a real game breaker, and I think, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the focus, of course, in this league, as we've already talked about, is offense. We want to see offensive games, but with the Browns, you can't deny like this defense is it's remarkable. Um, it's can really, I think, go the distance if they can kind of get their offense to uh, to keep up. Yeah, interesting enough uh, how that season would go for Cleveland if Deshaun Watson's able to stay healthy. They've actually done pretty well without Nick Chubb, which is saying something, and uh, kept themselves right in that division race. Of course, everyone now trying to chase down the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC North. I don't know if there's been a more quiet 5-2 and two team in the NFL this year, but they certainly made a statement on Sunday. That was kind of the big, exciting game in the early slate was Detroit in Baltimore uh, it didn't stay exciting for very long after the Ravens put up 28 points by halftime. Uh, how impressed were you with uh, the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday? Yeah, extremely impressed. I think going into this game, um, there was a sense that, you know, this would be the biggest test yet kind of for both teams. I think on Baltimore's side, remember how going into the season, there was a lot of hype around what this offense could do. They had brought in Todd Munkin and his schemes, and they had brought in some, you know, some really dynamic um, pass catchers. And clearly, they wanted to get more of a focus on the passing game as opposed to just always relying on Lamar Jackson's legs. And I think this game, like leading up to this game, we kind of saw flashes, right? Mm-hmm. It was still a little bit like, who, who is this offense? Are they going to kind of get up to speed? And I think, I mean clearly yesterday the answer was was yes so they can be the offense we thought they could be and and that was just like a, a really a full team win I think on on the Lions side um you know dealing with a lot of the a lot of the hype um which I totally fed into I was sitting here <laughs> saying yes they are a great team and I still think they are a very very good team dealing with a few injuries of course but I think we saw a Baltimore team that, you know, they they saw their opportunity to kind of exploit a weakness on the Lions, and that was the passing game, or sorry, their passing defense. And I mean, they just they just hammered it home. That was that was beyond impressive. I think anyone who was kind of maybe doubting um, whether Baltimore was kind of the real deal, I think that kind of um, set them kind of on the right track of of they are a real deal contender for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, Lamar Jackson's one of those guys that I just feel like we haven't talked about at all this year. We've talked so much about Tua and, and of course, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. Those guys are going to get uh, a ton of the spotlight, but it's been a really strong season for Lamar Jackson. Obviously, what he can do with his legs is so impressive, but he's thrown eight touchdowns. He's only thrown three interceptions. His QBR is at 1019 uh, really quietly and somehow after a lot of noise about his future in Baltimore, seems like he's settled in. You mentioned those pass options that he's got. Feels like they've settled into a nice rhythm in Baltimore now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and it's it's definitely, it's great to see. It's great to see that offense click because of just like all of the names that they have. And I also, I mean, I, I love that, you know, he's connecting with Mark Andrews again. And, you know, even with all of those new weapons, it's always, it's it's the good old tight end quarterback relationship <laughs> there with Mark Andrews, right? Um, yeah, it's just I mean it's great to see like when you have an athlete as dynamic as Lamar Jackson, it's just 
great to see him operating at like the pace that you know that he can. I mean, he's putting up MVP numbers, and I think finally he's gonna um, he's gonna really be not only in that conversation, but like at the at the front of that conversation. Uh, one team that you and me have talked a lot about on these hits, and it's because we can't get a good feel for what exactly they are this year has been the Buffalo Bills. And we got another example of why we've been so confused on Sunday, Emily, because you probably thought like me that the Buffalo Bills would have a fairly easy time going into new England, taking on a one in five Patriots team that hasn't looked all that good this season with Mac Jones at quarterback, but Bill Belichick pulls one out for his 300th career coaching win and leaves me as confused about the Bills as I've been all season. They're now sitting at four and three. Yeah, they're they're kind of potentially in a precarious position now at four and three, right? When you look at not just the division, but just the strength of the strength of the AFC overall. And yeah. and it kind of it kind of had me laughing because like I honestly don't know how many times I need to relearn this lesson. You never <laughs> ever ever count out Bill Belichick like yeah. what you know like right when we're you know there's all this chatter of is it possible his days could be numbered and then <laughs> all he does is go out and reportedly sign an extension and as you just said get a historic career win and he does it against the Bills and so it's just sort of it's another one of those like maybe the NFL gods are laughing I don't know but um yeah it w- it was definitely that was a, I mean, it was a weirdly fun game to watch just because it was, it was so, it was so unexpected going down to the wire. Um, but definitely it reveals a trend with the bills where, so when we talked earlier this season, we were talking about how, you know, that offense was flying. They were outscoring opponents um, by at least 28 points in their first, or there were like three three straight wins that they were outscoring opponents by at least 28 points. They were just, you know, knocking opponents out of the park. But since then, they've had really slow starts. So the last three games, they've been actually shut out in the first quarter alone. um, And then they've actually only put up 10 combined points in the first half of their last three games, which when you look at, when you look at a team with an offense as dynamic as the Bills, like, that's a really troubling trend and it, and it goes with this idea that they are the ones kind of getting in their own way. It's not always about who they're playing. It's really just, you know, these slow starts, um, Josh Allen, not able to just sort of put himself in a position to, to not try to make those big game saving plays. Like they're just getting in their own way, which is definitely, um, yeah, a problematic trend. And I think when you look at sort of the, yeah, I mean, I mean, moving forward, they've got the Buccaneers on Thursday night, um, and then Bengals, Broncos, Jets again, Eagles, Chiefs. Like, we're getting into some tricky territory. So if they can't sort of right this wrong, it could be an interesting time for the Bills. Yeah, they're one of my teams to watch for going forward because I feel like there's so much potential there. But I like how you put it; they just kind of seem to keep getting in their own way. And uh, Philly does them a bit of a favor beating the Dolphins on Sunday, but. If I'm the Bills, I'm not really worried about Miami at this point. I'm kind of just worried about what's happening with my uh, with my own team right now. Um, Sunday yeah, was exactly. yeah. Sunday was interesting for a number of different reasons. Always something that catches me off guard on Sundays is generally a, a team that I don't follow or don't seem to 
key up on as much. Uh, I have a good friend on the station here, Pat, who's a big Buccaneers fan. And uh, we were talking yesterday, and all of a sudden I looked, and the Falcons beat the Buccaneers. Didn't really think much of it. Then all of a sudden uh, I started hearing uh, the division-leading Atlanta Falcons, and I was stunned by that. Now they have a negative points differential, one of the only teams in the NFL uh, anywhere near the top of their division with a negative points for uh, versus points against, but they're four and three. They found a way to pick up a win against the Bucks on Sunday. I don't like that NFC South very much. I think there's a lot of teams with a lot of work to do there, but could Atlanta be the best of a rather up and down division in your mind? Yeah, I mean, technically, someone has to win that division. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. Somebody, like the yeah. last couple seasons, I've almost been campaigning to like can we like change the playoff format or something? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I actually like this Falcons team. I mean, heading into the season, I think they, they, you know, were a team that people were kind of watching for them to finally kind of make that jump. And it's definitely been like a little bit of, it hasn't been like this clear surge forward, even though it's, it's almost, frustrating because they should actually be better than they are like I know they're leading the division um, but as you said negative points differential and and I think when you look at the weapons that they have like it's it's actually it's frustrating that they're not as explosive as I think that they should be they've got Drake London they've got Bijan Robinson who you know somewhat mysteriously was like really sidelined for most of that game um, yeah how strange was that it was very strange. Yeah. Just not feeling well. And I think it was just a really unclear, like what, what was going on there to see him on the sidelines, fully dressed helmet on, but not playing. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you, you look at a player on that team, like Kyle Pitts, like they've just never really seemed to kind of connect with him, even though he's this massive weapon. He had a great game yesterday. He had, I don't know if you saw that like behind the back one handed catch that he made. If you haven't go back and see it. I did. It was wild. something else. Yeah. But I think the most frustrating thing with the, this offense is, you know, you have Desmond Ritter at quarterback and he is really lucky. They won that game yesterday because he had two red zone fumbles and, and it, they weren't just, you know, these fluky fumbles, there was, you know, one he's running into the end zone and just gets the ball kind of punched out of his hand. And it's, it's, it's I want to see this offense firing on all cylinders. I don't think we've seen that yet. And I don't know if we will see that if Ritter is the quarterback. Emily Sadler is along with us. She joins us every single Monday here on Sportsnet today to break down the Sunday that was in the NFL. We're into week seven of action now. Uh, Sunday night, was the obviously most hyped game of the week, Eagles and Dolphins. Uh, Eagles were looking great with those Kelly Green uniforms. Oh, uh, so good. That was awesome just to see that, uh, and then let alone. Uh, they still play pretty good football. What did you make last night of uh, two of the NFL's best going head-to-head on primetime? Yeah, it was definitely, I think that was a game that we saw a little bit more of the signature um, it was more of a signature Eagles win. It kind of had everything. If you're if you're looking at Philadelphia, it had a little bit of the adversity. Jalen Hurts brushing off pick six, and then immediately driving down, driving the offense down the field, regaining the lead. Had you know really clutch defensive performance. AJ Brown is just 
he's on fire. I didn't even realize the hot streak that he's on. His fifth straight game with at least 127 receiving yards. Like, that's wild. So yeah. I think we're, we're really seeing this team click. And it's kind of funny to say, right, like they have so many wins, and yet we're, we're <laughs> like, no, this is, the, this is the signature win. Like I sort of – I do kind of wonder if, you know – um, you know, as we, as we've said, like they haven't really looked like themselves. And I think maybe if we, if they continue on this trajectory, which I don't really know how they wouldn't, um, we might look back at this game for the Eagles and say, that was the game that they kind of returned to last season's form. Um, obviously the, yeah, the Dolphins injuries, I think kind of exposed them, especially along the offensive line. And, you know, they didn't have um, Devon A. Chan who, as we know, adds an incredibly fast element to their game. Yeah. Um, definitely, I think maybe some some warning signs for the Dolphins, um, just in terms of those injuries and being able to kind of get past those. Obviously, every team is dealing with that. But for sure, if, if I'm an Eagles fan, I'm feeling really good after that one. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, if you got one of those jerseys, you're looking good as well. Uh, oh those my are, gosh! Those so are good. so good. I'm glad the NFL changed that rule. I do not wear them all the time. Exactly. And then next week we I get. Those every week. I think we get the Oilers throwbacks next week, and we get those really cool uh, Seahawks throwbacks as well next week. I'm a bit of a Jersey nerd, so I'm very excited for both of those. Love that. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and Emily, one more to get to: uh, 49ers Vikings on Monday Night Football. That doesn't sound overly exciting. I will admit, I'm holding out hope. Uh, once again, that a primetime game doesn't let us down, but uh, I have my reservations that the Vikings, even at home, are going to be able to keep up with the 49ers, especially without Justin Jefferson in the lineup. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'm, I'm not super excited for this one. <laughs> I think, unfortunately, like injuries might kind of be the biggest story in this one, and that's really crummy to say. Yeah. Obviously, the good news for the 49ers, um, looks like they've got Christian McCaffrey back. I'll be curious to see, like, you know, are they going to lean on him as heavily as they have um, during his time with the team so far? Um, but having Debo Samuel and Trent Williams out are obviously bad news for San Francisco. But, yeah, as you said, um, Justin Jefferson, like, he, as we know, can sway a game. Um, and not having him in there, it just it feels like we could be in for a bit of a blowout favoring San Francisco um, I'm I'm looking for the Vikings to maybe get their run game going. I mean, they really have had a lot of trouble um, running the ball. They've actually, this seems a bit unbelievable to me, but they have yet to score a rushing touchdown. And, you know, they're facing the team that, as we know, scores a lot of rushing touchdowns. Yeah. And so I'm curious to see, like, can they kind of get that going? Obviously, good luck doing that against San Francisco's defense, but I kind of feel like that's their only hope is to just slow the game down, try to run the ball as much as they can, and yeah, who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You can always, <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> that's what keeps us coming back, I think, every single time is, I think exactly. we're going to be right, but there's always just that, that little point in the back of our mind where you just, you never quite know, and I think that's what keeps us coming back. Uh, every single week. Uh, Emily, you're the best. Thanks so much, as always, for hopping on. Loved it, uh, as we usually do with our conversations. We'll chat with you next week, hey? Sounds great. Thanks so much. Take care. Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca joining us down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. She joins us every Monday here on Sportsnet today to talk all things NFL. Week 7, just left with the Vikings and the 49ers on Monday Night Football. 6-15 kickoff tonight. 
from Minnesota. Most sports books have the 49ers favored by a touchdown on the road. I would like to believe that's true, but I'm just not sold at the Vikings. Um, maybe if Justin Jefferson's there and he has uh, one of those classic Justin Jefferson games, I could see it, but I just think the Vikings are in tough against a really strong defense. Jordan Addison's been a great rookie pickup, maybe the best rookie receiver with Zay Flowers in that conversation too. Both of the wide receivers uh, wearing purple on this year have been really good uh, across the NFL rookies, but it's going to be tough sledding that 49ers defense so strong. You know Nick Bosa is going to be after Kirk Cousins all night long. Uh, Vikings enter tonight's action 2-4, and four, which is actually second in the NFC North. Uh, but, of course, they are trailing the Detroit Lions in that 49ers 5-1. and one. They are first in the NFC West. Week 8 will kick off on Thursday night, as Emily mentioned. It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Buffalo getting set to face the Bills. What a disappointing effort for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I was watching it with Pat as we were getting set for Flames pregame on Sunday, and the Patriots just walked right down the throat of the Buffalo Bills defense. Late fourth quarter, game-winning touchdown, frustrating penalties. They couldn't stop uh, a New England offense that is just putrid. I mean, Kendrick Bourne, very exciting young player. You could hope that he turns into a weapon for the Patriots, but I mean, has anybody ever been impressed with Mac Jones? He was good yesterday, but for the most part, I don't know, pretty mad player. They're two and five and divisional opponent just walked right down, scored. Mike Gusecki got the touchdown with 15 seconds left, all but sealing the game. Patriots moved to two and five. And again, the Bills at four and three. And Emily made a good point. If you're the Bills, good team. I don't think they're in, in any danger yet, but don't get comfortable. If you're not going to catch Miami for the top in that division, there's some other teams lurking around the entire AFC North, as we talked about, full of good football teams right now. Texans have been surprising. They're at 3-3. Three and three. CJ Stroud's been a really good rookie option for them. Lots going on around the NFL right now. Uh, always enjoy our chats with Emily. Uh, again, that was coming down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. We're going to jump back into the Calgary Flames conversation Elliot Friedman dropped an interesting nugget about a potential extension coming for a Calgary Flames player. And it was maybe one that we thought was already settled with this player leaving town. If you missed it, we'll tell you who that is and tell you what we think about uh, this potential contract extension. Plus, don't miss it an hour or two. Matty Rose is going to join us. He's the co-host of Rustic and Rose on the big show. Uh, the Calgary Stampeders. Big win against the BC Lions. They are back in the playoffs once again. They'll see those BC Lions in a couple weeks for the West semifinal. How did they get it done? And uh, what do we think of the choke job down the stretch by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders that cost their head coach his job today? We'll get into all of that in hour two. It's coming up next. Keep it locked right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.